Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakway. Well, all right. Today we're uh, moving over a little bit away from the beer roads and moving over to a little bit of more other kinds of craft beverages. And, uh, you know, we have our guest today from Swilled Dog up in uh, Pendleton County, West Virginia. So, Aaron, uh, have you been up to Pendleton County and seen Swilled Dog? I have not. I've seen certainly tons of pictures and got to review some product. So I, I've sampled some of their product, but I have not been there in person. Yeah, you know, well, I haven't been there either. And uh, but we do have a person who spends a lot of time there and one of the founders of Swilled Dog Hard Ciders, and that is Brooke Glover. Brooke, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Okay, um, so I believe we began seeing your cider around 2016. Does that sound about right? Yep, yep, right around there. Um, can you get into who are the main partners that make the Swill Dog team up? As in, where where are they from? Where do they live? And and who are those people in general? Yeah, so, so we're we're a family-owned company, and uh, you know it's it's really been my husband's family. And they have been, we kind of all got together and said, hey, what do you guys think about this? I mean, my husband, Brad, and I really were, were making our own cider and, and we all have enjoyed cider. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things. I, I remember the first time he ever took me back to his hometown. Um, I'm from Parkersburg. First time he ever took me back to his hometown, we went to his buddies, one of his buddies' cellars, and they took us out and uh, he sat me on a milk crate and said, all right, hold on, watch this. And they started siphoning something out of a barrel. And I had only had commercial ciders. I'd never had anything like that. And it was eye-opening. It was unbelievable. And so what we did uh, from there, we said, let's start kind of making some of this ourselves and really enjoyed it. Started talking to the rest of the family and said, hey, what do you guys think about this? And you think this would be fun? And of course, everybody's like, yes, let's do it. This will be great. And so um, started planting apple trees, cider specific apple trees, and uh, also started doing it out of my mother and father-in-law's uh, basement. So we all just, it was kind of this nice little family affair where one of us is washing apples and throwing it down a trough and the others are kind of, you know, putting it into the grinder and we're doing all these things and we're like, this is really fun. And then we start making it and they said, okay, Brooke, let's start selling it. So I start selling it and I'm like, guys, we're, we're, we've sold it. What are we going to do? You know, <laughs> so, um, and, and uh, so that's been, it was kind of the background and then we immediately had to get a distributor. You know, we were just, it was just too much for us. So it's it's a family affair, um, and we so there are just, four owners in total. Yeah, yeah. so we've got uh, well, no, there are, there are eight of us. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, and we have recently started doing. Uh, last year, we took on a little bit of investment, and um, so we've got a group that has um, come in there. But we have um, just our family. It's my husband and his two sisters and their husbands, and uh, my mother and father-in-law. So what does everyone's role sort of look like with that many owners? Really, um, everyone has a full-time job, um, except for me, and I'm in the business full-time. My father-in-law is our cider maker and our distiller, but he also has something else that he really does. So we have to rely on our amazing employees to help us out a ton. So it's, it's amazing. I said, if we would just all quit our jobs and be in this full-time, um, I really started to be full-time because I was kind of, 
I was working on the business, but we were having <laughs> we had two little ones. We've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So, uh, you know, especially through COVID, no childcare. So trying to run a business and also take care of little ones has been really fun. <laughs> I'm sure very challenging. And I know that um, you're majority female owned. So that's because obviously there's more, more women than there are men in your partnership. And that, that's something that you don't hear of often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, I'm the majority um, owner in the business. And then with my sister's in-law and my mother-in-law, yes, we, we all uh, kind of make it up. And we also say our dog, Lucy is, is an owner, even though she doesn't have any ownership. We, she gets, she gets, she sways a little bit too. Yep. So, um, they're in Pendleton County at your facility. Do you have an open tasting room and how often is it open during the week? We do. Yeah. So we, we, um, in 2000 and let me see what it was, what was it? 2019, we opened our, uh, cidery and, and it's about a 3000 square foot tasting room. People can come and sit and hang out and really enjoy themselves. And uh, we have a little bit of food. And then here, what was it? like two months ago, I think now, a month and a half ago, we opened our little whiskey room. So we've got just a kind of small little room. You can come in really intimate, uh, just a bar. You kind of stand there, just do your sampling and then you can purchase uh, our whiskeys to go. So the cidery is a little bit different. You can come in and hang out. We do events and, and it's really family oriented and you can bring your dogs and it's it's great. Um, we've got a little map on the wall that's it's got um, a pitch pins where people have been from all around and we've got we've got somebody that's been there from every state now so I said I think we need to start with an international map and so uh, it's been really great say so when you guys started back in 2016 and you were a brand new company with a brand new product cider was not a big product in West Virginia certainly we didn't have a lot of local cider at all uh it took you guys a little while though I think to like get into gear and figure out what you were doing and how you how you go about it which was to be expected but boy I tell you what once you got your feet on the ground you're probably or possibly anyway the most impressive marketing presence of all the West Virginia craft beverage companies and I think uh whether it's beer wine or distilled spirits you guys have done a great job getting presence in the market getting distribution and um so I'm just curious Brooke, because that's sort of where you take the lead in a lot of that end of the business. What do you attribute your success to getting this wide distribution and the continued sell through that we see? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And uh, I would say it's a couple things. Um, you know, just I think it's number one is just the, I, I, there's a couple of things I would say the people of West Virginia, they're incredibly loyal. And when they find out that we're a West Virginia brand and that one of our main pillars of our business is to be a, a charitable company, we want to make sure we're giving back. And we do a lot of things in the state. And so people that I think that resonates with people and they want to be a part of something. And they, like, like I said, we're, we're all very loyal and all West Virginians really support each other and care about each other and want to do good things for the state. And so I think that we've really had people getting behind us. Uh, in that way. And um, you know, we've got amazing distributor uh, relationships. Our distributor is wonderful and gave us good feedback and said, hey, why don't you, what do you guys think about this? But through those growing pains you're talking about, they were right there with us. And they said, we see what you guys are trying to do and we believe in you. And that that really helped us to, to get there. And then, you know, just the, uh, our retail partners, like I said, they are, a lot of them are local. You know, you're seeing that the people who are making the, dis the decisions in a lot of these places live locally and they want to honor that and they care about local and so the consumers care about local. 
So we're seeing that the retailers were kind of like, I don't know if we want to put this on the shelf. And then it became a thing of, well, we're, we're selling, you know, and our sell through just kind of give us a chance, you know? And uh, I think, I think once you go up to events and people try it, then it becomes a thing where they go to their store and the store doesn't have it and they're upset. And so I think it's just kind of been that organic, we go out, we let people try it, we tell them our story and, and it's really resonated with people. How do you find that deciding to put your cider in cans has impacted your distribution? Oh, that's good. I mean, that was, that was our plan from the beginning, really to go into cans. We had to start in bottles because um, as you know, can, candy lines and, and can sourcing and all the things that go into that design work that go into to cans, it's very expensive for a new business. And so you do have to have you have to have some scale in order to, to kind of move into that. And uh, we we moved into that. And we actually got some advice some, from some other bigger cider companies that I, I know. And um, they said, oh, cans, you don't want to go into cans. Nobody's moving into cans. And then you know, we were like, we're going to go ahead and do it. And we were pretty early in the, in the can game for cider. And uh, it's paid off. Yeah. Did you purchase your own canning equipment or did you use a, a mobile canners or how did you get started with canning? We started with a mobile canner and then we started, you know, we, we needed to do that and it helped us to get in and ask questions and learn what they were doing and understand the system and understand how to, to do all of that. And then um, very quickly realized, all right, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and the numbers just made sense for us to purchase our own canning line. Yeah. And uh, you still do a draft cider, right? Uh, in distribution. Yeah. yeah. So what, what would you think the product mix be between the draft cider and the cans nowadays? Nowadays, uh, normally, you know, for, for most people, I think we, we sort of made the decision early to go distribution and not have a tasting room and, and pretty much everyone said we were nuts and we were like, okay. And, and, you know, then we said, all right, we'll, we'll get to that point where we'll put in a tasting room. Um, and that helped, but I think because we have such a good distribution footprint that has helped us through the pandemic, for sure. We had a lot more. Um, for us, you know, a lot of times it's 80-20 for a lot of brewers and things like that. We weren't there. And I think that really helped us in, in the pandemic to make sure that we had we had a lot more on shelves. And that's where people were purchasing. So um, in the state of West Virginia, it's a little bit higher because of our keg to can ratio um, because people are willing to put us on a lot more in West Virginia. Now we've got some really great placements in some of our other states, but it just depends on the state, really. Yeah. Well, I, I've noticed something, too, that I think is very positive for Swill Dog, and that's your six-pack price of cider. Uh, it's very reasonable, in my opinion. And I think even on your website, you're like, what, eight ninety nine dollars or something that you've got it priced at. But um, that's, you know, it's within the local, locally made and produced craft beers, whether it be in West Virginia, Virginia, wherever, those six packs are going higher than eight ninety nine, and uh, the, the you, it's a it's like a bargain in a sense for a beverage. Could you address that? I mean, how do you keep your price so low? I think. Well, I think it was it was kind of talking about the type of business that we wanted to have, and when you're looking at the comparison between a cider like a cider like ourselves and a brewery, most of the brewers in the state there aren't many who are distributed outside of the state of West Virginia. And so for them, you know, you can price it accordingly. I think you can go a little bit higher. People know who you are. You have that local presence. But for us, we knew that we were going to expand outside the state and continue to expand. And so it becomes more of a volume um, play more than it does just, uh, okay. I mean, 
I know we could raise our prices. Um, we definitely know that. I think people would pay that. I think the consumer willingness to pay is, is definitely higher. But, uh, you know, we know that we're a new product. We know that people are like, I don't know what cider is. I'm not willing to try it. I don't really like cider. It's too sweet for me. And we tell them, no, that's not the case. You got to try it. You're going to love it. And then we know that they're going to recommend it to their friends. They're going to come back and buy it. And then that volume will sort of take care of it a little bit. So that's sort of been our thinking. Um, and it's been really tough because there are some really big, it's not like the beer world where there's 20 craft brewers and they're all around and people expect to pay that. Cider's not really like that. What there's Angry Orchard, Woodchuck, and now kind of Bulldog. They don't, we can't compete with them at all if we are, if we're playing that game. So, um, you know, we, we really had to kind of make that sacrifice and say, okay, we're going to get outside the state. We're going to be bigger than just kind of like a lifestyle company. We want to be a larger uh, player in the Southeast. Building a new cider market has been a success for you, but starting up a new beverage alcohol manufacturing company had to be a learning experience. I'm curious uh, what you would call your most challenging hurdles so far and what have you learned from them? I think just understanding the, uh, I think, I think just really understanding the business. You know, I, I didn't understand maybe those distributor relationships enough and I didn't understand how it worked to get to talk to a retailer and uh, you know, that they just don't talk to you. They're like, I don't care who you are. I don't care. You either show me numbers or don't talk to me, uh, you know? And it was just calling and calling and calling and calling and calling some more and saying, you're not, you're going to answer my call when you're going to have to tell me no. And, and that's happened a lot. But I think it's it's more of a kind of in general, the same thing that you see in any industry or in any, in my opinion, in anything you do in life, it's really, you're going to have those setbacks and you just got to say, okay, I'm going to learn from him, make a mistake, move on really quickly. Um, we had a, a pretty big issue for us. Um, you know, I think this past year where, you know, we, we had a, an issue with a can supplier and they sent us the wrong cans. And for a drink like ours, you, you, you can't have that really, you can't have that mistake. You know, I mean, it was, we were putting things out in the market and you just can't have that. The acid is too high. So you have to have the right can liner. You have to have the right cans. We did everything right on our end. And it was basically like, okay, sorry, we'll get it fixed. Well, there's a bigger issue than just kind of getting it fixed. It's a reputational thing. And people's taste your product for the first time. They're like, what's wrong with this? What are they doing? Not our, you know, wasn't what we were making. It was, it, that was the, that was the issue. But the good thing was, is that we have um, a really great kind of quality control. Um, our standard operating procedures do a lot of that. And we caught that very, very early. And it didn't even go out into any of our other markets besides Virginia. And they had only put it out for like a couple of days. And so we're able to pull it off really quickly. If we hadn't been doing that and that quality control and tasting things and making sure we're taking notes and doing all that stuff, we wouldn't have caught it so early. So those are the things that I'm like, you know, we'll just get to that later. I'm like, you have to do the little things and you have to make sure that you're detail oriented because, you know, that cleanliness and making sure that you're, you're on top of that stuff really matters. So that's been the biggest thing for me is just that distributor relationship and then just, uh, how to navigate the retail space, but just making sure that you're failing and failing fast, which is kind of a mentality I have across all of life <laughs> in general. Well, I know um, you obviously know recently, Charles and I were able to taste and review your sangria cider. 
And I know that you guys have also come out with a new white sangria and have some other um, flavored ciders. So I'm curious, what made you decide to get into the flavored cider category rather than just make the traditional all apple based products? Yeah, yep. So um, we do have our walk the dog. And for just so you know, that is my favorite. I love the traditional um, cider and that I really want to just only put out only apples and it's completely dry and that's what we're doing. But in order to compete on the shelf, they don't care. You know, when you look at somebody like an angry orchard who has all the shelf space and has a different profile than, than we would if we were to put out those really dry um, style ciders made with only heirloom apples, I think we would have a really hard time competing. And, and the retailers, that's what we first came out with. Everything we came out with was dry, you know, and, and we were like, okay, people really like it, but people in West Virginia weren't ready for that, I, I don't think. I, I mean, I think they're ready for it. They just didn't know they were ready for it. They're like, what is this, you know? And then as they've tried more and more and more, and, and they'll maybe start with something sweeter, and then they'll move to, okay, let's try the sangria, and then let's try the caramel apple, and then they kind of go drier and drier and then all of a sudden they're like walk the dog you know and um i think when we go to festivals they try our walk the dog and say that's great i i don't even know that that was cider and like yes it's great so i think it was more of a we think people are ready but to be fair the retailers aren't ready they're still not ready and and i can't convince them of that because you go down to the store what do you see you might see one dry cider you might see Hawk Knob on the shelf with a dry cider, and that's pretty much it in the state of West Virginia. And I don't think people realize that there are ciders like that out there. They exist. We just don't have access to them. And, and that's across the country in most places, unless you're at a really specific craft beverage place that makes the investment and tries to find it. You're only getting a teeny tiny piece of what's actually out there and available. So that's frustrating for me as a consumer, I know. So I'm like, man, I really have to try some other dry, dry ciders, but they're not, they're not out there as much. So, well, when you're producing your cider, do you use bulk juice or whole fruit? Both. We do, we do both. Um, and that's because we source as much as we can from inside the state, but, and you're, <laughs> this is a, a big conversation. I will take a whole lot of, a lot of the time on this, but I'm working really, really hard with the, um, Food and Farm Coalition and the Ag Department and trying to get producers interested in planting these heirloom specific style apples, not just for us, but because there's a market for it. And West Virginia could be an amazing heirloom apple producer. The crab apples that I see that come out of the state are unbelievable, but it's just getting those producers to plant them because they can plant their beautiful, you know, golden or honey crisp or whatever and sell it at a farmer's market. Um, so, and processing is a problem in the state as well. So we do have to source from outside the state. So that, that has been something that we- Hey, hey Brooke, uh, I think this may be a good time to bring up the law that just got uh, signed uh, in West Virginia, House Bill 2025, and how it affects the cider industry. Cause you were talking about it. You're trying to boost up uh, producers of apples, apple you know, growers. Uh, I think that law, doesn't it have an impact on that as well? And maybe you could talk a little bit about the benefits of this new law. Sure. Um, the part specifically that you're speaking about is, um, is the agriculture fund that is being established with taxes from cideries that we are, we're already paying. 
And uh, I think the state realized, hey, we can do this. West Virginia got behind us a few years ago and said, hey, we're going to make cider a, a focus for us. And they lowered the taxes and they put a lot of investment into uh, getting cidery started. And that's one of the initi initiatives that I'm interested in. I know it seems sort of odd to think of that I want other cideries in the state. I do. We need a robust industry. Um, and, and there's enough, there's enough space for more. Um, so, so that's important to me, but I think getting the producers to want to produce those apples and I've got contacts across the country in the cider industry and they're calling me, Hey, do you guys know of anybody who's making this kind of apple? I know it grows there. I'm like, Nope. I mean, we grow it in our orchards because we planted it, but I can't find anybody else who wants to mass produce that stuff. So that's, it's been a problem. Yeah. The, the new law also affects the taxation of cider. And I think it's, that's something that should benefit you. Could you maybe talk about how that would help? Sure, sure. So um, I know this, I don't want to, I don't want to get too specific because it'll bore everybody, but you know, with, there were some, some proposed changes to taxes here earlier and everybody was kind of losing their mind in the, in the beer industry. And they're like, there's no way we can pay that as we've been paying a dollar a gallon for since, we, since we've been in existence, you know, and you go across the border in Virginia and it's 70 cents cheaper, little, little than 70 cents cheaper. That's really hard to compete. And it's really hard to want to start a cidery in the state when you're paying a dollar a gallon, you know, and um, it doesn't really allow you to compete on the shelf. And uh, that, that's really tough. So this is helping to encourage cideries to start in the state, encourage, um, you know, encourage us to be able to do to, to kind of start this robust industry and for us specifically it, it's going to help us to hire people because we need people we're 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 going at a million miles an hour but we need people and this will really help with that i saw on your website you have uh, mentioned a tasting room or some new tasting experiences that are upcoming so if you could talk about those what are the tasting experiences and where are they going to be located yeah, so I can't give away too much, but I'm really working on something pretty big right now. So, so for that part of it, someone's gonna have to follow us on social. I can't, can't give too much information about that, but I'm really excited. Um, but we do have our, our places in West Virginia. We have our, our cidery and our distillery that I was talking about before, our, our tasting rooms. But as far as the new stuff, I can't quite give that away yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um Another question then, um, I, I also saw that maybe you have some changes coming up with your packaging. And I'm curious, is that a, a change from a can to a bottle or is this just a label or both? Whatever you could elaborate on. Yeah, so we're just, we're doing a little bit of a, uh, a refresh to our, our brand and it's still gonna be, you know, our ciders are, um, when we opened the distillery, we really wanted to make sure that we had one logo that could be served in both products, you know, because our ciders are really fun and, and they're, we say they're best served adventure. You know, it's, it's kind of go out and you can take it when you're rafting on the river or whatever you're doing. Well, not rafting on the river. I wouldn't recommend drinking and rafting. After you're rafting, you could sit around a fire and, and drink our ciders. And I think, and you know, go for a bike ride and drink our ciders. But we also have our distillery, which is a different product. It's, it's definitely small batch and it's, it's um, you know, it's a little more, what you think of with a whiskey and a bourbon. It's a little more refined and a little more sophisticated. And so our logo needed to reflect something that would match both of them. So we had to change that up, number one. And then number two, we just wanted to, to refresh the, the cans a little bit. 
um, as far as our distill, and this is something I have our sangria here that I'm drinking. This can is actually really fun. This was an accident how this happened. Um, we, we did the palm tree and everything for our summer seasonal and Lucy on the beach. And then we were trying to play around with the sunset and the gradient and actually hit the wrong button and it went over the whole can and we were like, we kind of like that. <laughs> so that's how that got a different color from our white that you're used to. Um, but you know, with this one, this is fun because we we hand label everything and, and write in everything on here. This was clear. This was kind of the first one we really started with and it's beautiful. You know, you can see it across the bar and you can backlight it. And, and if it's on a retail shelf, um, like up behind a bar, it looks really pretty and it's nice and it lets Lucy stand out. But this one, we just recently um, changed to this label. That one's really hard to put on without a labeler, you know? <laughs> I can't tell you how late we were up <laughs> on our first batch, putting it on and then, you know, rubbing, making sure the bubbles came out. You, you ever put one of those green, uh, new screen detectors on your phone? <laughs> but times a lot, times a whole, whole lot. So we decided to move to the other labels right now. And, uh, and it, it's been great too. It kind of gives, it actually makes her pop a little more, so. We've been pretty happy with that change. <laughs> and our employees have been really happy with that change. Yes. I understand that you have um, a lot of donations from your sales at your uh, facility that you do regularly. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. This is, this is exciting stuff. This is the fun stuff I like to talk about. So in our tasting room, we've got um, something that's called Lucy's Tap. And every month we pick something different. And uh, it's usually, we try to make sure we're benefiting. It's mostly animal charities. We really, I just actually got an email today from one of our charities kind of updating us and saying that, um, so they, they donate to military working dogs and um, they send care packages to them a lot. And she just sent me something today and sent us a picture of the jump pouches that the dogs wear. And um, it, I mean, just, it's kind of cool to see that follow up. And they, they, so we've really been able to get invested in these businesses and or these charities and, and really knowing what's going on in the state. And it's so cool to see what people in West Virginia are doing, but in our tasting room, it's really important to us because when you come in, you get to know, um, and we try not to say, hey, we're doing this and you know, all the time because we don't, it's not self-serving for us. We just want people to get introduced to the charities and know what they're doing. and hear about them because otherwise you might not even know that this kind of cool stuff's going on. Um, and like I said, it's, it's one of the pillars of our business. We do make a West Virginia scrumpy that's all donated and forged apples. A lot of forged apples, a lot of bugs in your hair going and grabbing those apples from like a field where someone's like, oh, there's an apple tree over there. Sure, you can have those deer apples. I don't want them anyway. I'm like, I'll take them. You know, so um, we make that and then we, we donate the, the bottles and the labels and the caps and the yeast and the labor from that. We sell those for around $20 when we go to festivals and things like that. Um, and uh, we give all the proceeds to that, to charity. Um, this year we're doing, um, we're gonna donate an apple tree for every bottle um, that we're selling. So I'm really trying hard. It's one of the initiatives I was talking about. I'm trying to work with WVU and the Ag Department. And I think I've got some growers that have really, that have reached out to me and said, yes, we're interested and they want those apple trees. So it's kind of a cool initiative that we're trying to do um, and hopefully we can maybe get the Department of Ag Fund to help us with that and kind of go in together. But we're, we're committed to giving that apple tree for every bottle. You guys have now kind of mastered the cider business, or at least uh, you're well on your way. Uh, must have had enough confidence that you've decided to branch out into a whole new kind of business within the beverage alcohol industry, and that's the distilled spirits. 
just really, it's, I guess it's the same owners. Is that the same crew? I mean, the same ownership? Yeah. So what made you guys decide and think that it was now time to get out, you know, move on and in, into the distilled spirits business? Yeah. So, so for us, we like to really put out things that we like to drink and um, we, it's, it's been something that's really been on our minds for a long time and, and us, there's a part of it that's on trend. So within that distillery, we make um, small batch spirits. Um, we do these, uh, they're called infusions and they're dried fruits or um, different, different things that we put inside a container and you can pour whiskey in them. You put it in the fridge for three days and then it kind of gets infused. So we do um, a hot toddy one and then we do another one that's got, it, it's amazing, but it tastes like, um, it's like kind of like an old fashioned, but it's got, uh, it's got some spice notes to it. It's got some sweeter notes to it. It's, it's really great. So um, we have that as part of it. And then King Cocktails. Uh, so we're going to be releasing our King Cocktails at some point here soon. I think we've kind of announced that we're going to be doing that, but we can't get our cans. We are ready to go and we're waiting on our cans. Um, so for us, that is the part that's really on trend. I mean, American whiskey and bourbon has really made a comeback here um, in the past few years, and and uh, we see we see the benefits of that. And then also, obviously, we'd be we'd be blind if we didn't see the um, seltzer trend. We know what's going on there, but I, I hope it don't hurt anyone's feelings. But I don't like seltzers. Um, I don't I don't like some of the flavor profiles that go with it. I don't like the finish and. But I do enjoy the canned cocktail uh, part of it. And so we knew that that was a way for us to really be a part of that industry while making things that we enjoy. So, um, you know, I think, I think the other thing too is if you look outside of our facility, it's surrounded by corn. The whole valley where we are, there's, it's a huge just corn. That's all you can see. So for us, we were kind of thinking, hey, it's right here. Why aren't we, why aren't we doing this? And, and speaking to... Um, We've had an amazing relationship with a farmer um, that's in that valley and that farms that valley. And he was like, let's do it. This sounds great. I love it. You know, and, and he really gets the bigger picture. He loves West Virginia. He loves the county. He wants to be a part of something and excited about the tourism that we're bringing in and possible agritourism. And um, so, so we kind of got together and said, why not? We need to do this. It's important. And West Virginia has got a lot of to offer. You know, I mean, Smooth Ambler is already doing it. And they're doing some great stuff. And uh, so we wanted to, to be, I mean, and there was more than just Smooth Ambler, Ambler for sure, um, doing some amazing things. So we wanted to make sure we're putting our spin on it as well. Yeah, well, you know, when you open a distillery, I mean, just for a frame of reference for people listening that you've kind of got two extremes, either some distilleries make everything themselves, they don't sell anything except what they make right on site. Then there are other distilleries that don't make any distilled spirit, but they just bottle and blend and maybe flavor something that's made in another look, you know, by someone else. Then there's a blend of that, which is most probably common in small distilleries where, you know, you make some product, but you also source some product, you buy some product from other people and bottle it yourselves. How did you decide that you thought about modeling your distillery, how you would navigate through that world of, of you know, the current distillery business? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, for us, it was, you, you say, I want to do this, and you start looking at the numbers, and, and this was a decision that we made a while back, obviously, and, and really started working on um, that sourcing and, and finding things that we like and saying, you know what, we really want to do this, but we haven't found anything that we want that we think is 
worth our time that we want to, to think about doing. And, and the flavor profile that we're planning to create, that we want to create. Um, you know, we, we have a partnership with uh, West Virginia Great Barrel Company, and they we're, we're getting all of our barrels from them. And I don't know if you guys have seen their facility, but it's unbelievable. Um, you should check it out. But um, we wanted to make sure that we were able to get some barrels from them and use those that it's um, white oak barrels. And it's sourced from, you know, all in the state of West Virginia. And so that was really important to us. And so, you know, it just takes time. It, it does. I mean, it's, it's, if you want to tell a story of a time and a place, you, 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 which is what we want to do with our West Virginia agriculture and our grains that we're going to be using, we just got to give it time. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you've got all the money in the world to do it. And so it does help to find those things that, is, that, that give you the flavor profile you're looking for that you want to match and um, bring those in and, and do like what you said to make sure that you're, you're adjusting those as you'd like and aging them the way you want or blending them the way you want. And uh, so we, we found right now, it's, it's a hybrid model for us. We're probably, our plan is to move to the, the uh, former, I think it was the former of, of just having all of our own things, but it just takes so much time. You know? Yeah, when, capital, a lot of capital. Yeah, you're, you're, I saw already making, you've mashed and I guess even distilled by now some bourbon or what will be bourbon. Uh, is that now in barrels at your facility or? Yeah, tell, tell a little bit about what you've done so far with making your own product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've done just what you just what you said. I mean, we've made we've we've kind of have our our mash bill doing. We've been doing a lot of recipes and making sure that we feel comfortable with the that that recipe that we have. Um, and that just takes a really long time, to be honest with you. <laughs> it takes a long time to get exactly what you're looking for. Because we know that the the Western Great Barrels that we're getting is going to impart amazing flavor, um, so so that's one thing we've been doing is making sure we're getting that those recipes right, starting to lay it down, just leaving it alone. You know, I mean, you just have to leave it alone. There's really not a lot more to it than that. Just kind of get it get it the way you want it, and then just kind of see what comes out. But I will say we're also making some pretty darn good uh, brandy. From our from our cider so when we we also were sitting here looking at this when we were finishing our cider and you know we can reuse uh some of our uh the lees and the, the yeast cakes we can reuse some of that stuff which we do we want to be a sustainable company as much as we can but we said okay what are we going to do with the cider what are we going to do with all this stuff here down the bottom that you know and and making cider we already know how to do that so we were like let's make some brandy so we're doing brandy as well yeah, that's fantastic. I didn't know that. I certainly knew about your, your bourbon. I saw that on the on your website or Facebook, one or the other. But, you know, let's also talk about your sourcing. You know, whoever, I don't know if it's you, you can, I want to know who was the one who, who was the team that's picking out the products that you do purchase from other distillers that you then bottle at what you have on the market. Now, I know you have at least three uh, products available or have had three at your, uh, at your place. So somebody has done a pretty good job of picking those out because I also heard your announcement today and I'll let you talk about that. Uh, but those three products apparently did okay in a, in a competition. So talk about a little bit first though, about how you just, you know, pick those products that you did choose for your own to bottle. And then you can talk a little bit about the, the competition. So we really take our time and say, you know, we're looking for, when we're choosing those barrels, it's something that we're looking for, something specific. And it's, it's mostly what, 
it's mostly what I like, <laughs> but we all try it, you know, I mean, um, from my father-in-law and to some of our team there, I mean, we kind of get everybody's opinion and then really I, I get my husband's opinion quite a bit and, and we just kind of go back and forth and say, I like this about this, or I like this about this. Let's keep trying to find things that have that, you know, this profile that we're looking for. And I tend to look for things that are a little more on the, um, give you a little more of that sweet profile, a little bit more of the vanillas, a little bit more of the caramels, a little bit more of the, the smooth. Um, and even, even with the rye, you know, I, I want it to be smooth. I mean, that's, that's something that I just, I, I need it to have a nice finish to it, but I think, um, the, that kind of brulee flavor that, that people maybe talk about, but it's something that I, I want every time I'm tasting it. So I can tell if it's not there and I'm like, I have to have it. So, um, it, it's a group effort for sure. So how many different distilleries did you go through before you found the one that you wanted to work with for this? We work with multiple. So we could pick one thing from one set of barrels from one, and then we work on another set of barrels. And, and it's like, you know, that's, that's it, you know, and you say, well, it's worth it. It's that good. And we think it's, it's that important. So, um, yeah, it, it takes a little bit of time, but, um, it, it's like I said, it's worth it. And um, we did get, you mentioned it, we got um, a silver medal in the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, which is kind of the world's largest, or, or I don't, I think it's the second largest, but it's by far the most prestigious. And it's um, fully blind, you know, the, the judges have no idea what they're tasting and, and things like that. But we've, uh, we had a silver for our, um, um, our one of our bourbons um, for our barrel strength bourbon. And then we also got a, um, a gold for our rye whiskey, which was crazy because rye whiskey is a tough one, a tough one to get. Um, and then we got a double gold also. So we were kind of losing our minds that we got a double gold. Um, so that was, that was pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. It was for this one actually. So that was our straight um, barrel strength. I think the first one I said, I said it was our barrel strength, but we actually, it was not our barrel strength. It was our 90 proof. So yeah. Yeah. I encourage people to probably check your um, social media and they can find out uh, which products and what the, what the awards were, but yeah, that it just tells me that's kind of the secret when you have to source a product, you need to source a good one. And I think, Somehow, you know, you guys, uh, maybe you aren't the most experienced at this, you're new at it, but somebody had a good palate and picked out some good stuff. And uh, that that's, that's commendable, I think, and uh, hopefully bodes well for your future <laughs> selections that you're going to be making. But I guess what I saw with some of that, though, it, it, they were very small batch. And when they when you say small batch, um, what do you mean by small batch? I mean, what's that word mean to you? Because there's no legal definition of small batch. But if you're bottling a, a product like that and put small batch, what what does it mean to to uh, swill dog? Yeah, for us, it means that there's only so much of it produced. And I think, I think, you know, there are some, some whiskeys out there that you know what you're going to get, you know, for instance, you're going to go to the store and you're going to get your Jack Daniels and that's what they build on. They build on that consistency and that's what makes them great. And that's why you love them. You know what you're going to get, but the really great thing for me and, and in the cider world as well, is that it's gonna taste different. And people don't quite understand that. You try to get as consistent as you can. But for me, part of the part of the wonderful thing is like what I just said earlier, is you're telling a story about a time and a place. And 
that time, in my opinion, doesn't exist forever. <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's, it's interesting to taste and it's like wine, you know, 2016 tastes different than 2017 and it should, the, the climate was different, the conditions were different. And so for me, by putting out, by thinking about putting these out, knowing that it's a small batch, you're only going to get so much of it. It's going to taste different. If we put out another barrel strength bourbon next time, it's probably going to taste different. Um, you know, that that's exciting to me. And I think just, I think the public is educated on that. I don't think they're as educated on our cider and how cider works. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is uh, I'm, I'm working on that at the national level, trying to get um, us to be able to put vintage years on our ciders. And right now, cider is not allowed to put vintage uh, years on their cider. So I can't say this is our 2017 West Virginia scrumpy. Well, if it tastes completely different than the bottle you brought la- bought last year, people are like, this isn't what I got last year. Well, of course it's not. The apples were different and we didn't have as much rain and, you know, all those things. So we've got to do a better job in the, in the cider industry, which we're working really hard to try to make sure that people are educated. But I think in the, in the spirits world, people are pretty educated and they expect that. Yeah, and when I when I think I saw this off of uh, your website or something that it was maybe one maybe it was your rye your barrel strength rye, it was three hundred bottles only or something like that, and that's like maybe a couple of barrels at most uh, of 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 what and that when that's gone it's gone so that that won't last long so it does mean I'm guessing you're going to be rotating through lots of different small batch products that you will source you know during this period until you your own whiskey products that you're making in, in Pendleton County you know mature and are able to be sold that's that is the that's the thought that's the plan and I hope people appreciate that as well um and it's it's hard to do but I think it's worth it I mean I literally a hand wrote every single one of those on the, on our rye whiskey. So for me, those 300 bottles, I know exactly where my hand, how my hand was cramping at this bottle 175. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's something where we're like proud of that. You know, we, we thought, okay, this is important. And it's that good. We want to get this bottled, even though there's just a little bit of it and it makes it a marketing challenge and it makes it tough for distribution. Um, but, you know, like I said, I think the retailers of West Virginia are, are, pretty um they 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 sort of know they're educated and they know that the consumers are willing to do that and they're willing to talk about that as well with consumers so they're not scared to buy something that might be a small batch and actually i think they get excited about it yeah one last question on before we leave the current lineup of distilled spirit products is that uh right now i see on the state website anyway that they only list them being available at your uh, location at your tasting room. Is that true? Or, or will they be out in distribution in West Virginia liquor stores across the state? They should be out any day now. We are, yes. So our um, distrib- our distributor partner is um, finalizing everything they need to, to get that done. And I'm waiting for a call anytime to say, all right, green light, let's go. So we already have several orders that are needing to be filled. So we've got a lot a lot of retailers that are excited about it and want it and um i think it's going to go pretty fast once they open it up and are you using your um let's see mountain state beverage also as a broker for your distilled spirits in the state yes yeah that'll help you certainly they've got great market presence and certainly in all the on-premise as well yeah well the thing about them is that they you're exactly right and they are just 
They're a great partner. They're responsive. They, they get the big picture. Um, they were who I was referencing earlier when I said, Hey, we're going through some growing pains. And they're like, Hey guys, you, you're good. We got you. We're on your team. We can, we see where this is going. And so they've been great. Well, again, from uh, past Will Dog announcements about your distillery, I know there's a mention of, and I think you may have touched on this briefly or a little earlier in the conversation, but um, ready to bring cocktails. If you could talk about what those are and when you think they'll be available. Yep. So I just got an email on it today and uh, it's Candelay. Um, I think I mentioned this, but we are ready to go. We want it to be out. We were hoping it would be out by now, but I think you guys you know, you guys are, you know, what's going on in the world of, of beer and, and cans and there's a shortage for sure. So it kind of has gotten pushed back um, a couple times, but those are going to be vodka sodas and um, we're going to have two different flavors of those. And uh, so really excited about those. We're seeing the success of some of the, like I said, some of the seltzers, but also, you know, like the high noons that are coming out and they not quite so much in West Virginia yet, but they in every other state are just blowing up. So we're excited to kind of maybe be West Virginia's canned cocktail when those come out. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, also moving on, I know you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier as well, but I know there's a non-alcoholic non beverage category, your infusions that you talked about, um, that I assume you would mix with your whiskey to make cocktails and things like that. Um, why did you get decide to get into that market and who actually makes the infusions for you? Yeah, so we make them in-house and that was um, our chief experience manager, Kim Kirk, who is amazing. She's just unbelievable. Uh, she came to us and said, hey guys, you know, I, I think this would be really great and I think there's a, maybe a couple players that are doing it in, in the market, but they're not they're not here. They're, you know, in the other areas. And, and we just thought, you know, this will be really great. And for me, I have a lot of female friends who are kind of like, oh, I don't do bourbons and I don't do whiskeys. And I'm like, you do, I promise you. And Kim is one of those people. And she said, Brooke, she said, I, I, I'm not really a bourbon drinker or whiskey drinker. And we said, okay. And she said, well, let's try this. We tried it. She, now she's like, this is amazing. This is this is something that I think you could really get people involved in. And, you know, one of the things that, that we like is when people get together and kind of enjoy these things together and, and it's family and friends getting together. And those infusions are a great thing to say, oh, I've got people coming over on Saturday. I'm going to get that in the, in the fridge and by Saturday, it'll be ready to go. And um, it's just interesting for, um, I, and I don't want to make it a segmented category of males to females, but I think it really does. We, we see a lot more females getting really interested in that. And we started to have retail partners reaching out to us. Are you guys putting those out? We're like, no, 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 not yet. So we only sell them in our tasting room and online, but basically the, the, the rate that we've been selling them, we're, we're thinking, okay, there's a market for this. The retailers want it. They're excited about it. So those might be out on the shelves for soon as well. Are there any West Virginia sourced ingredients in the infusions? No, not right, not right now. No, we, we buy those, we buy, I mean, it's, it's like cinnamon sticks and things like that. So, um, you know, it's oranges. I can't really get oranges in the state of West, in the state of West Virginia. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, there are things that I would lo love to, to do like our honey sticks, you know, we do honey sticks in our hot toddy and those already come and they're already in the, 
prepackaged deal. But if I could find a provider in West Virginia that would say, hey, I make honey, it's from over the ridge, you know, I, I, I can get it for you in these packets, let's do it. I would be willing to pay more for things like that if I could. And I think consumers would be willing to pay more for things like that. So I'd be willing to do it, but a lot of the ingredients I can't get locally. So. Well, we're about to run out of time, but uh, Brooke, I wanna, before we leave anyway, get you to tell us a little bit about your service to the cider industry on its uh, like a national cider industry trade association board that you've been on, I think for several years. Could you talk a little bit about that and what your role has been? Yeah, so I was reelected this year to another three year term on the American Cider Association uh, Board of Directors. And I was also reelected as our vice president. So um, I get to, to serve on the executive committee there. Um, also the chair of the uh, marketing committee. And uh, that's, that's really fun. We, do, we, do, we are a member focused organization. So we create things for our members to use in their marketing. Um, and uh, we're, we're really a grassroots organization. We're not huge like the Spirits Council and things like this. So we do a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, we're, working, we're a working board and a working, uh, working committees. And then I'm also on the um, uh, government uh, advocacy. It's, it's like our legislative committee. So I do a lot of um, national um, lobbying and things like that, so. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here with us today. Erin, uh, do you have anything else? Just good luck. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the announcement that you have that you couldn't quite get into just yet, but I'll certainly watch for that. So Thank best you. of luck. Thank you so much. And, and I said this earlier too, before we started, but just, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and the education you're offering up to people in the state and just how much you guys care about the industry. I know Charles, you've done a lot with organizing kind of the producers and, and trying to get us all together and getting us talking and getting us all working together. And that, that matters, it really does. So we just appreciate you guys and it's fun to see what you guys do. All right then. Well, today we've been talking with Brooke Glover of the Swill Dog Cidery and Swill Dog Spirits Company. And, uh, I guess Upper Tract, it's called Upper Tract, little community in Pendleton County, West Virginia, way over in the eastern part of the state. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.